Hi everyone, I'm Ram. Hi, I'm Smita. Uh, we're both co-founders of Rangbe. You would have surely heard of business tycoons like Bill Gates and Warren Buffett who earn a lot of wealth and then spend the last few decades of their lives doing philanthropic work and giving away their wealth. In this episode, we speak to a couple who actually did the opposite. They started a not-for-profit initiative to help rural artisans and farmers to get loans and they eventually converted this into a corporation in order to scale up the impact. Ram and Smita are the founders of Rangde a peer-to-peer lending fintech startup that is the business of doing good without compromising on financial returns. Rangde allows people with wealth to make loans to people who need funds to generate their livelihood. And thereby, Rangde offers both financial returns and social returns on your money. Stay tuned for this conversation and subscribe to the Founder Thesis podcast on any audio streaming app for more stories about changing the world through entrepreneurship. So, uh, uh, you know, just for some context, uh, while I'll go through the whole journey of how you built up Rangde, but, uh, you know, what would be like an elevator pitch of Rangde? So only 12.8%, now this is the recent data from the World Bank, only 12.8% of India's eligible population have access to formal credit. This includes all credit cards as well. What we're trying to do at Rangde is use a revolutionary regulation in the form of NBFC P2P, which allows an Indian to lend money to a fellow unbanked Indian and make them financially included. Okay. That's what we do at Rangde. We are a peer-to-peer lending platform for the unbanked. Okay. Uh, so for the unbanked means... This is not something you're doing for a urban population, white collar. That's not your target here. Uh, because urban white collar folks or even uh, traders, SMEs, all are not exactly unbanked, right? Yes. So our focus is mostly rural entrepreneurs, artisans and farmers. Uh, but even in urban areas, what if at all we work, we look at existing financing gaps. You know, if traditional financial institutions have failed people, that's where we intervene and see how do we actually customize loan products to make it both affordable and accessible. So in some sense, we are location agnostic, but right now we are spread out mostly in the rural areas. Okay, got it. So uh, let's talk about uh, the journey. Uh, you know, uh, what led to the birth of the idea of Rangde? Uh, you know, did you two, uh, like, had you already got married and then you started Rangde or was uh, married second and Rangde came first? Just, just tell me a bit of that uh, backstory. Yeah, so, you know, we were, uh, uh, you know, even much before getting married, you know, we had this very strong desire to do something meaningful in the social space. Now, the motivation was different for both of us. Smita comes from social work background. Uh, uh, she's done a master's in social work. And in fact, that's how we met. You know, I was volunteering for a non-profit where Smita was working. Uh, okay. So in my case, it was a completely different uh, motivation. I studied in an engineering college where it was infamous for campus violence. Um, 
I quite unintentionally ended up doing a fundraiser for an orphanage, uh, uh, but with a small change in the format. And the, the change was to also celebrate the birthdays of the children in this orphanage as part of this fundraiser in the college campus. And mm-hmm. that small change changed everything overnight. Overnight, we had peace in the campus. And that had a very profound impact on me because the, the, the takeaway for me personally was that all of us have empathy in us. We may live an entire lives not expressing it because no one presented us with an opportunity. This fundraiser became a universal expression of empathy for the entire campus. So it was just a matter of time. I wanted to take a plunge into the social space. Um, and, and when I met Swita, she had similar thoughts and she wanted to really make an impact in the social space. And we were quite agnostic, you know, we were not too worried about what that would be. Uh, and with that thought, you know, we got married and soon after we went moved to the UK, we started living in this tiny village called Kildington, <clears throat> four miles away from Oxford. Why UK? Like, did you get a job there or? Yeah, yeah, a job. You got a job. Okay. Got a job. Okay. Yeah. We, we never studied in Oxford, but we worked there. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And, and that is where... Uh, you know, we were living in this beautiful village called Kiddington. And because for the first time, uh, we understood, after living there for a few months, for the first time we understood what people meant back in India when they said, India is a developing country. Because for the first time, we were experiencing what a developed state looks and feels like. And we couldn't help ask ourselves this question, how much time would it take for India to get there? And we struggled with that answer. And that is when we made a promise. We said, well, two years it is. In two years, we'll move back to India and start something meaningful in the social space. And what that something would be, as always, we never, it never bothered us because when you come from a country like India, you're spoiled for choice. There's so many issues you could pick up and, and spend your whole life solving it. And yeah, so that is how uh, we went about uh, uh, planning uh, our... Uh, journey into the social space. And when 2006 came, uh, we looked at several ideas by then. Um, child labor, rural unemployment, um, the empathy gap which we have in our country for the problems which India faces. And then coincidentally, 2006 also was the year when Mohamed Dinesh and the Grameen Bank won the Nobel Peace Prize. And the announcement was just me. Um, our initial response was, well, Good for Bangladesh. India doesn't need microcredit because we are far ahead of Bangladesh. But when we Googled it a bit, we noticed that India was actually behind Bangladesh when it came to financial inclusion. Only 7.7% of India's eligible population had access to credit. And we also stumbled across an article on Rediff.com which spoke about how borrowers were borrowed from a microfinance institution in Hyderabad, how some of them had committed suicide and how the interest rates they were paying were very, very high. And, and that is when you know, we felt that something was not right. Uh, on one end, Mahmoudinus was talking about this really pristine model of serving microcredit to ensure that the poor are able to overcome poverty on their own and to do this sustainably. And on the other end, in India, you know, it was a 
is being done to maximize fraud. Uh, so that is uh, where we felt that maybe we should do something about it. And uh, and around the same time, peer-to-peer platforms are taking off. One in the UK, in the US. And, and we felt that perhaps this construct could be a great alternative to traditional credit because not only it would allow us to raise affordable and more sustainable credit for the communities, but to also help bridge the massive empathy gap which we have in our country. Because as opposed to charity, when you're investing in somebody's future in the form of credit, you can't help notice who that person is when they start repaying. At some point, you would notice who that person is. And we felt that could be a very powerful uh, takeaway from this whole model. And we zeroed down uh, on the idea. And uh, and that's how Rande came into existence. Okay. Um, the, uh, I believe uh, like 2009 is when you started Rande, right? Yes. At that time, this was... Sorry? 2008. 2008, okay. Uh, at that time, I don't think there was any regulation around it. Uh, I think the regulations came pretty recently. Yes, absolutely. So we were the first ones to start peer-to-peer lending in the country. And of course, there was no precedence to it. And um, uh, But we still went ahead thanks to the support of a lot of thought leaders, especially Dr. Nachiket Moore. And because, you know, we we just had an idea and we didn't know how to actually go about setting this up. And that's when we realized that there is no legal clarity because of the lack of regulation. Uh, but thanks to the support that we received from, you know, the thought leaders in the space, we decided to still go ahead with the idea, set it up as a non-profit because, you know, RBI or anybody does not really regulate non-profits. So we thought we should give it a shot and see, you know, how far we go. So until 2017, we operated as a non-profit and an unregulated peer-to-peer lending platform. Okay. Okay. Uh, got it. Okay. So uh, is there any, uh, like the, the reason to start as a non-profit is uh, easier to launch uh, or like why, why start it as a non-profit? One of the reasons, but then not the primary reason. The primary reason was because we were mission driven and we had a purpose, which was how do we actually lower the cost of credit? And we had seen enough examples where well-meaning um, um, initiatives that started as non-profits, once they moved to, you know, uh, transition into for-profit entities, they had moved away and drifted away from their mission. So that was actually the core reason why we stuck to being a non-profit because we said we are here to actually lower the cost of credit. Um, and that's why, and the non-profit model was the best way to actually uh, build on our mission. And you are still a non-profit? No, we, we, we transitioned. So, so one of the things, you know, I think it was very early days and we were also advised, um, to be honest, I think the structure did not matter to us as much as I mentioned what mattered outcomes. to us, yeah, the outcomes and what would allow us to get there. Uh, and, uh, and and it's just untested, you know, we're getting into uncharted territory, um, absolutely uh, uh, no idea, no precedent of how, you know, it won't work. Uh, uh, and and we were literally, you know, 
we were willing to jump off the steep cliffs and uh, and and build something while and hope that we land safely. Uh, so that was that was the honestly the approach. Um, uh, but what we really were paranoid about was the purpose of why we were doing you know what we wanted what we wanted to do because the purpose was really clear. We wanted to make it more affordable and accessible. Uh, both were challenges because one was the cost. The other one was the whole uh, cookie-cutter model of credit in India. Uh, uh, because the communities were never given the choice when it came to credit. And what I mean by choice is their ability to choose how much, when, for how long, and on what terms they want to repay. And this is a choice which you all take it for granted, right? who are financially included. Uh, but once you are on the other side, uh, uh, this is something which uh, is blatantly missing. So we wanted to address both these issues uh, through the model. Um, and then, as you mentioned, you know, 2017 is when the RBI came out with guidelines uh, to regulate peer-to-peer lending. And okay. then... So- in a way, like your zero to one journey uh, is still 2017, and then 2017 is where probably the one to 100 journey starts, I'm guessing. So, uh, like, give me a summary of the zero to one journey in terms of I'm guessing these would have been the key challenges. You would need a way to, you would need some sort of a go to market strategy, like to get investors slash lenders on board. Uh, you would need a way to find the right borrowers and to do some sort of credit underwriting on them. And then you would need some sort of a, a way to do this at scale, you know, using technology and things like that. Uh, how did you uh, solve each of these pieces in the puzzle? And is there any piece of the puzzle which I'm missing? No, that's exactly what uh, what we had to figure out, uh, Akshay. So I'll talk about... Um, uh, the social investor bit on how did we actually start to get uh, lenders on board because uh, like you rightly said, you know, this was a time when, you know, a concept like this was really unheard of and uh, and plus digital marketing or anything was still in its very nascent stages. So what we actually did was in some sense, both Ram and I started to evangelize, you know, for this model and what we were trying to do. So we were pretty much you know, out there and every startup event, every, you know, uh, back then there was, um, you know, a new format of event called the unconference style of events where anybody could actually go and speak about something that they were doing. So we, every single opportunity that, you know, came out there, we were there. So it was purely offline. And we started to realize that a lot of peers started to resonate with this idea. And there were people coming and telling us that, you know what, I always wanted to start something like Rangde, but I never had the courage to do it. And now that you guys have started it, how can we actually, you know, join in? So our early adopters, you know, included people like Mikin, um, you know, who went on to, uh, you know, be a part of Flipkart. So we had a lot of people who were not just our social investors, but our early think tankers as well. So I remember Mikin, you know, doing a session for me on SEO. You know, how would it work? So they were early adopters. They were early think tankers. And gradually the word started to spread. So, you know, that was in some sense our go-to-market strategy from a social investor point of view. Okay, got it. And uh, how would they deposit money? Did you have like a... Because the time when you started, the 
plug and play payment gateway all of these things were not really there right so how were you collecting the money oh they were there uh, they were uh, in fact the early days you uh, know coincidentally flipkart was starting as well at the same time uh, so yeah so uh, we did have payment gateway integration um and uh, yeah people used to make online payments which also give them options to do a bank transfer because online payments are still not mainstream at that point uh, uh but um, yeah so we give them online transfers bank transfers so people are comfortable doing that okay got it got it okay uh, and uh, like so the platform as such was uh, essentially more of a back end thing like you didn't have like a app which people could download and we didn't uh, apps but then we we had a website so uh, mm. we pretty much had that from day 1 so 26 january 2008 was when we went live but we had like a basic version of the platform we went live with 15 borrowers from napur so we had everything when we actually went live uh ex- oh. you know we uh, had probably like an mvp version and then gradually built on it it was more polished absolutely and also okay. technology itself akshay from earlier it was outsourced we had a team that helped us build it um until we went live and gradually we realized that you know the platform is really in some sense our soul right it's very important for us to build this in house so over a period of time we built our technology team in house and now that's one of our core strengths okay got it got it okay you needed a website to do the matchmaking because because this was a one to one loan uh now most peer to peer companies uh don't do this one to one kind of a loan where one borrower and one lender is matched uh they typically take money from a borrower and then give it to 100 lenders so that if there is a default from one lender it uh doesn't hit that one borrower you know only 1% or 5% whatever some single digit percentage of his portfolio has gone bad uh, uh so Uh, why did you choose to do this like a uh, indiv- individual to individual matchmaking kind of a loan which is uh, much higher in risk yeah no actually you know we are governed by the regulation and uh, we are not a fund we are not an alternate investment fund like a sebi uh, regulated uh given the nature of the platform and the regulation uh it doesn't the regulation doesn't allow us to play the role of a fund manager uh so it's very clear uh so so what we really is doing is we following the regulation uh very to to you know um uh, very closely and and what it basically says is that you know you are just providing a platform for social investors lenders to invest in communities um the moment we come in and say that okay you give us the money we then we will manage the risk and you know uh, it actually violates the first principles of the master regulation for the peer to peer lending in india okay i had interviewed the founder of lendin club uh, maybe about 2 years or so back mm. uh, and this is what i learned from him in terms of splitting the uh, lenders money to multiple borrowers to protect his downside uh, uh, we actually so so that yeah we do that as well so, akshay that's a very important part but we also enable the lender to make those choices 
So the platform, okay. you know, set up in a way that, you know, the lender can actually diversify their uh, portfolio by looking at broad filters that we have. So all the information and data that is needed for the lenders is actually available on the platform that helps them diversify the uh, risk a- anyway. So, but what we try and do is enable that the lender is empowered to make those decisions. So the flip side of this is you're putting more... Uh... Uh, friction for a lender because now as a lender it's not like I can just put my money here and forget it now I have to actually study it's like active investment versus mutual fund investment and uh, like uh, why add this friction why not just manage it sure so actually just to you know give you context here right so as Pita mentioned there are multiple choices so one you could choose an individual if you want to you could put it in a fund, but this fund is not based on the returns or risk. Because the risk across the platform is something which you take very seriously. So somebody who is credit worthy and trustworthy, only they get access to the platform. So that is addressed at a, at a, at a different level. But once they come on board, the choice which we give to our social investors is invest in an individual, invest in funds which are the thematic funds. For example, there's an elephant fund, you know, which invests in tribals, art, uh, art, tribal artisans living in the forest who are using lantana to create life-size elephants and then sell them to earn a livelihood. So, so these are very thematic, right? And you're spoiled for choice. Um, you can invest in Srinagar, you can invest in you know, different parts of the country, but also with a beautiful theme in it. Um, there again, you don't have to worry, you can up invest kardo, and then, you know, you, that takes care. The other one is a geography-based fund because what we notice in our experience is, people, you know, we don't even claim this that people should come to Rangde to earn market return. In fact, this is the most often we ask question: Why doesn't Rangde give market returns? You know, because when you're investing in Rangde, you're not investing in markets. You're actually investing in people for whom the markets have failed to work. So, so therefore, the focus is not on the returns, even though you get 8%, even more if you reinvest it. But the focus is not on that, but the focus is on inclusion, focuses on how you're able to create livelihoods, create employment, where it really matters. Okay. Uh, got it. Okay. So, uh, I'll revisit this uh, when we talk about the conversion from non-profit to for-profit. But uh, tell me about the third piece, which is borrowers. Uh, we spoke about the platform and how you got the lenders. Uh, how did you get the borrowers on? How did you scale that? What was the zero to one for that? So, yes. So, we work with partner organizations on the ground. Um, and initially, uh, even finding the right partners was a big challenge uh, because we really had to figure out who is the right fit for us in terms of alignment with what we were doing. Because especially back then, the narrative was that microfinance is a great way for organizations to do well and do good at the same time. And this was a time when a lot of NGOs were becoming NBFCs, looking at, you know, how do we do more and more loans and things like that. So initially, even before the platform went live, I think for a month or two, a lot of our efforts just went in field visits, meeting organizations, which could be potential partner organizations, understanding what the service design looks like in a typical microfinance model. And we realized after this field visit that we were very clear 
on who we should not partner with. Uh, because somewhere we felt, even in those initial days, even though we were very new to credit, we felt that something was wrong in the way credit was being delivered. So we started with cost, but we realized that it also we also needed to revisit the entire service design. So started with only two partners initially to go live and then more as a pilot. And gradually, over a period of time, started to you know look at, this is the right persona of a partner for us. So the role of the partner is very critical because they are helping us curate demand, curate loan applications from the ground. And what we also believe, and this is very core to our philosophy, that credit does not equal to impact, especially for the kind of communities we work with. It's an enabler of impact. And credit, in addition to a whole lot of support services and handholding and critical to success interventions is very, very important for the communities we work with. So when we look at partnerships, we look at does the partner have the ability to do this? Are they already doing this? So that increases the probability of success for the investees we work with. And this we have fine-tuned it over a period of uh, time, but there are lots of trial and errors initially to you know, get to the right kind of partners that would he help us do this efficiently as well as create the intended impact. So uh, these partner NGOs would also act as your uh, first uh, credit underwriting step. Like they would in some way vouch for the person whom they are presenting to. Uh, what else do you do for credit underwriting? So we also spend a lot of time and effort in finding these partners. So we look at their own track record, working with the communities, how much social capital they enjoy with the communities. Uh, they their leadership, their ethical fiber, their standing in the sector. So there are, there are a bunch of parameters. So it's, a, it's tough to be a Rangdeh partner and even tougher to stay connected as a Rangdeh partner. Because once they join us, we also continuously monitor their performance, you know, because they may have a great track, uh, great organization, but they may have challenges in running the program. And, and if they do, then we continuously evaluate whether we should continue the partnership or not. Okay, so the, the partner is the primary tool for credit underwriting. Like, select a good partner and uh, automatically uh, uh, the risk is reduced. I'm guessing the partner would also enable the collections and uh, like Because, managing that relationship with the borrower yeah. is all handled yeah. and, by the partner. And, and, and given that it, this is, they're not doing credit for the sake of doing credit, as Smitha mentioned. Uh, they are not, uh, credit is a part of their livelihood program uh, and, 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 and we beautifully complement their own efforts to bring about change. So the team members who run the livelihood programs also, and this of course is also digital, entirely digital. Um, it's a lot easier for them to manage it uh, on their own terms. Got it. Okay. So oh, what is... Uh... Uh, uh, what was your scale like in 2017 when you switched from not-for-profit to for-profit? Uh, how much was your monthly dispersal or annual dispersal by that time? Uh, how many borrowers and uh, lenders? So, yeah, we were dispersing about two crores a month. Uh, we just okay. reached that stage after a very long time. And cumulatively, we had dispersed uh, uh, 80 crores in nine years. Uh, 
to 66,000 households across 18 states. Now, very small numbers, uh, but uh, what was remarkable was we raised this capital from 15,000 individuals from 20 countries and entirely okay. by word of mouth. Uh, we had zero budgets for any marketing. Uh, the focus in the initial years was to survive, to make sure the modern survives. And then after starting in 2008, you know, we went, we were hit by this massive crisis in 2010 when the meltdown happened in Andhra Pradesh. Um, um, people looked at us and said, oh, you are also doing something like that. We said, no, we are not. Uh, but we uh, stood our ground and we said, we're all going to abandon the ship. Uh, but it, we had to painstakingly build back because it took us about two years to bring that perception back. And, um, and then, yeah, so, so yeah, it was a roller coaster ride until 2017. Okay. And uh, what was your earning? Uh, so you offer 8% to the lender. Uh, how much do you charge from the borrower? Uh, that difference is all yours or you share with the NGO partner also? Sir? Okay, so we don't share anything with the partner and neither do we take any share from there. Okay, so that 8% which you're charging the borrower is exactly what is offered. Absolutely, to the, uh, absolutely. Okay. Uh, and uh, now that's in the for profit in the right now, in the current pocket. Okay. Uh, how do you make money then? Yeah. So you know, that's the interesting story. So I'll just go back a bit. When we were transitioning, uh, actually, you know, we were the two challenges we had. Um, one was we had to set up a for-profit and also raise two crores of equity in this for-profit to even submit the application to RBI for the NBFC P2P license. Um, we were not too sure if we should go that path because we were worried about the mission drift, and if you're a lender uh, and if you want to make money, there are only two ways you can make money. Either increase the interest rate or increase the loan amount or do both, which typically ends up creating a bubble. And we've seen this play out, not just in India, but globally. Uh, and we didn't want to go that path because we didn't want to exploit the same communities we've set out to serve. Uh, so, so that is when, you know, we went back to the drawing board and did a lot of design thinking, thanks to our mentor, Professor P. Sudarshan. We were able to find an whole new business model, which had zero dependency on the interest the borrower pays for our own sustainability and eventual profitability. And the model was simple. The idea was to repurpose Rangde from being a lender to being a platform which is providing a service to all its stakeholders. So we felt it's only fair we charge our impact partners a one-time setup fee and an annual recurring fee to access the platform. And impact partner is the uh, NGO. The NGO. Is, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. And this is also a great litmus test, right? Because if somebody is committed to a livelihood program, they really need credit on their terms. Otherwise, they struggle, right? It's way tough. So what we're giving them is on tap. They're getting access to formal credit, which is affordable and also designed for their community. Okay. So they just love the idea. That, that is the uh, only source of So that's one. What then we have a 2% processing okay. fee, which the partners pick up. Um, this is to offset some of the costs which we incur. This is part of the disbursal fee. We have a small margin there. Uh, 
And then the third revenue stream, which we've not introduced, but we've been testing it for a while, is to charge a small access fee from a social investor. It could be as small as 49 rupees per transaction. So, so like a convenience fees when ab- you book your tickets. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that would also kick in. Uh, because the whole idea was to charge for access and not for use. Uh, okay. Yeah. Got it. Uh, this uh, uh, 2%, uh, I wanted to understand that a little more processing fee. So essentially, like if there is one lakh of loan being disbursed, so you charge a 2% of that one yeah, lakh yeah. for enabling the flow of the money. Yeah. And some part of it would go to the payment gateway provider. Absolutely. Some part would stay. So payment gateway, okay. then escrow account charges, virtual account charges, GST. So it's all inclusive. KYC, credit bureau, credit bureau checks, all inclusive. Digital signatures, everything bundled into it. So, uh, you, uh, credit bureau checks are needed because uh, you said that the NGO partner is the primary tool for credit. Well, we are regulated by RBI. And uh, okay, so you we need have to do it. And also contribute to the bureau. If the, uh, if the borrower doesn't have a credit record, which would be, uh, I guess, very common, right? Because these are rural yeah. entrepreneurs. That doesn't stop you. I mean, lack of bureau score does not we, stop you from... Yeah, actually, uh, we actually celebrate when that happens. Because you're uh, bringing someone into yeah, formal yeah, credit yeah. record. Okay, so uh, uh, how did you raise the uh, money you needed in 2017 when you had to become a regulated for-profit uh, P2P? That's a great question. You know, we really struggle uh, because there is no such thing called social equity in the country yet. Uh, so when we started, you know, Smita started writing email to our social investors, a large community saying that, you know, we are on the crossroads most likely, we may just hand up our boots and move on uh, because we don't have access to capital. So many of them responded to that email. They said, hey, if we'll be happy to invest. Um, uh, and we were a bit you know, anxious with asking on what terms. They said, you define the terms, we will give you the money. And to our surprise, we raised two crores in less than a month from 23 individuals without a term sheet. So that gave us a confidence to go ahead and file for the application. And then as you see, the rest was history. But the good part, Akshay, is that even today, we are entirely funded by a community of social investors. We have more than 130 angels on our cap table who are coincidentally also, majority of them, first-time angel investors. Amazing, amazing. Okay, 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 okay. Uh, interesting. And uh, so, uh, how did uh, things change once you became a, a P2P NBFC? Like, uh, in terms of, uh, was there any significant change in how you run the business, or was it just largely a entity type change? No, I think it was a big change because we now regulated a lot of compliance and security, deep investments in tech. Uh, all of that uh, clearly, um, but also more validation for Rangdi's model. Uh, you know, we were we've been around in the sector for a while, so people had known us for a while. But there was no now more um, uh, 
you know, recognition for the model because they said, now you're regulated by RPI. Uh, we love this. So now we can work together. We don't need to worry about our auditors, you know, raising a flag, who is regulating them. Uh, so yes, a wide acceptance across the board. And uh, coincidentally, also, soon after launching Runway, we went straight into the pandemic. I think I think it's the universe way of testing us, <laughs> testing our resilience. Uh, but, uh, and um, yeah, and uh, we didn't know what to do. We had just raised a bunch of loans and uh, for entrepreneurs and there was a national lockdown announced on television. So we said, okay, we can't disperse those loans. And just then we got this distress call from a group of farmers in Yavakmal saying that the soya bean prices have crashed. Can you give us credit for warehouse financing? We said, yeah, we'll be happy to. And overnight we raised a million rupees and we gave it to them. And those days, you know, there were these what are WhatsApp groups which mushroomed overnight. And somebody mentioned there that Randi is giving loans to farmers. So many of them started reaching out, saying that we also need access to credit. Uh, in, in normal times, it's tough. But in those times, it's even tougher because the banks are not operating at full capacity. Uh, so we said, well, you know, this looks like a big need there. And, and farmers are not affected by the lockdown because they need to still work in the fields. Uh, so, so that is when we reached out to NDTV and we did a telethon with them and which had a, we had we received an overwhelming uh, in a couple of hours of live telethon. We, we had raised 5.5 crores of uh, interest-free capital. That was the first time somebody was going on national television. Um, and uh, which bubbled up to 10 crores eventually. And you were able to serve 8,400 small and marginal farmers across 14 states with interest-free credit. Um, we did this interest-free. In fact, we were the only regulated entity at that time to do interest-free loans uh, for farmers. Uh, we, we, and in our history, also, we were doing it for the first time because not because the farmers were asking for interest-free loans, but we wanted to stand with them in solidarity and say that, you know, it's not of uncertainty. This is our view of expressing our gratitude. Amazing. Uh, so this uh, telethon means like you went on TV and you pitched the platform and there was a link where people could go and uh, give this. Uh, okay. So, uh, you know, uh, are you under pressure to earn profits? Because you have external investors. So is that there or all of these investors are aligned that we are not in it uh, for return on investment? So, you know, actually what we're trying to do at Rangde is set a precedent for regulated beauty platforms, not just for India, but for the entire world. We are very committed to build a platform which has got very strong unit economics. You know, if it plays out the way we think it will play out, it will be very profitable as well. But that is not what is driving us. That would become an unintended, unintended outcome of the value we are creating for the community. And, and that's a big departure because typically any social or any startup gets measured on only one metric, profitability, and never gets measured on impact. And we are trying to change that narrative. Because... What we're trying to do is innovate and build something at the same time. 
In fact, already we're getting early feelers from UK, Africa, various coalitions there saying that we see a, a, a very interesting need for something what you're doing in India in our communities, in our geographies as well. Uh, and we've politely not accepted those requests right now because we've still not done yet in terms of building a solid, robust, sustainable, profitable model without compromising our mission. Okay. Uh, how close are you to breaking even? I think it should take a couple of years, uh, but we're getting very okay. steady, you know, excellent product market set. Uh, we've also invested heavily in design, product and tech. Uh, and we do in massive research on our users. And that is bringing, you know, it's really giving us a lot of insights and, and we're very confident of building a robust model which will actually set a, a great precedent and not just for social enterprises but also for other peer-to-peer -peer models around the world. Uh, what is the role of tech here? So the entire platform is digital. So for the communities, yeah. So like the payment flow, uh, one part is payment flow automation yeah. uh, and the discovery automation, like for listing of borrowers yeah. and for allowing lenders to discover yeah. borrowers. Yeah. So what else? At the community level, if you look at our partners and partner team members, they access Rangde's technology using a mobile app. It's a Flutter app. Uh, oh, it's actually an Android app. Um, yeah, so they have a device and that's entirely digital, secure, uh, follows all the guidelines. Um, yeah, so so technology at that thing. That is for uh, borrower, KYC, borrower. Yeah, onboarding and absolutely. And then there's tech for underwriting. Um, we use AI-based underwriting. We're still building those models. Uh, we have signed up with Synaptic uh, so that, yeah. The uh, underwriting is happening through the NGO, right? Uh, what, uh, I mean, because this is not a data-rich segment that you're lending to. Exactly. Right? So. And that's why we're trying to build those data models because we have a lot of alternate data sources. And now, uh, like so, what? for example, uh, we are looking at um, gender, we are looking at certain occupations, we are looking at uh, uh, cash flows wherever it is available. So, it's a very hybrid sort of a data model that we are looking at, very conventional data-related, um, you know, uh, stuff, as well as the social and economic factors of, you know, where our borrowers actually hail from. Now, that we are trying to create partner scorecards and borrower scorecards to see the data that we have for the last three and a half years, what are the, you know, what are those insights that we can get here from there that become inputs to the scorecard and then design our own early warning system. So as we scale, it's a beautiful combination of not just what the partners are doing, but also, you know, our own systems and, uh, you know, which is able to uh, detect and show us early warning uh, uh, signs of, you know, the health of the system as well. So that's that's what we are building up to now. Okay, got it. Interesting. And uh, what is your NPA rate so far? At the at the moment, it's about eight percent, and it's a little high compared to you know uh, where we were a few years back. And this is largely because 
of a couple of geographies and communities that have been badly hit by the pandemic and um, they're still recovering from it. So these have not been written off. There are delayed repayments. And we do hope that in the next couple of weeks, actually, there's going to be a significant decrease in the LPA. Yeah, it should average around 3%. Um, because we've worked in, as Lisa mentioned, very remote geographies like Kionjar and very remote geographies in Nagaland. Um, yeah, the, yeah, so the communities need extra time and you know it's all going to come back. And Kashmir as well. Got it. Okay. Uh, this uh, interest-free lending uh, campaign you did, was it a one-off thing? Is it's, it a, a one-off your products? No, it's a one-off thing. Um, and uh, yeah, it was only during that pandemic. Okay. 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 Uh, the the general norm is that 8% is... Yeah. Uh, the, so the 6 to 8%, norm. we give our partners the choice of choosing whether it should be 6% or 8%. Um, and they get to choose uh, either of or in something in between. Why? Uh, I mean, why don't you decide this? Why do you give a choice? Um, largely because, well, we do this together. It's not like, you know, yeah, we do this in the spirit of the partnership. We co-create it. So we discuss it and say that it... Because the, the NGO would obviously want as low as possible, right? Not really. Right. Interestingly, not really. Because, you know, in certain communities and geographies, they also want to benchmark with the bank rate. Saying that no. the State Bank of India semi-loan, if we had got it, we'd have got it at this percent. So we want to do that so that they can tomorrow move on to a bank loan whenever that, that happens. Uh, so they want to have some parity. Yeah. This will happen. Ab absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, there are a lot of uh, government schemes for credit to farmers. Um, are those credit schemes uh, available only to farmers who have uh, data, like a credit score or something? Or like, uh, can any farmer get access to those kind of schemes and all? Like, what, what can you just analyze those government schemes when they're lacking? Uh, what is the gap which possibly Rangde is filling, which those government schemes have currently not been able to fill? But fundamentally, as you can imagine, right, I think there's a issue with the design. When I say design, I'm referring to the service design and the product design. Now, as you can imagine, right, any woman offers, right, when we look at any government scheme, you know, the, the red tape, the challenges we face, sadly, they they become... Uh, they get uh, many fold if you are a small and marginal farm. Uh, yeah. Right. Like literacy is a barrier yeah, yeah, yeah. to yeah. accessing. Those. And not just like literacy in the tradition says, but like financial literacy is also yeah, a yeah. barrier. And also, well, this is also something, you know, to be fair to the government. The farmers also have this expectation that there would be a loan waiver. Uh, because it has happened Absolutely. in the past. So. Right. So, so the loans, even if they're taken, if you look at their NPA numbers, they're not publicly available. They're really, really not something to write home about. Uh, so there are those challenges as well. Um, yeah. And then, you know, then you have the other for-profit lenders, the fintechs and the NBFCs, which are clearly uh, have a different mandate altogether. Right, those would be like at, at least double the cost of what oh, you are providing. Much, yeah, much more. Yeah, I don't think anyone yeah, would. Much more than that. 16, 17%. Yeah. 
an organization like Avanti Finance is like operating in the same space, right? Yeah. In terms of other for yeah, profit, yeah. Uh, but they are not peer to peer. They are of course yeah. uh, institutional. So, so their rate of interest is higher than what you. Yeah, they do. And by the way, they're very good friends. You know, we we're part of the same ecosystem, uh, and uh, we we did play a small role when they were starting up. Uh, so the absolutely right. So I think the. Um, but you know the path they have chosen is that to have a regular NBFC uh, path, uh, and what it does is to a regular NBFC or even to a bank is that you know you always have a cost of capital, then you have a cost of operations, and then you you know have a margin and then you lend money. So in a beautiful modern, and that's the reason we we, we you know we believe in being absolutely sacrosanct when it comes to that is to celebrate that whole uh, fact that you know there is no pancake that there's no middle layer here so we are, so we are removing that layer because now we're connecting an individual directly to an individual and 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 therefore passing that entire value which you're creating directly to the company okay uh but you know, peer to peer suffers from lack of supply, right? Uh, that's the like. If you were an institutional NBFC, then you know, like lending hundred crores a month is feasible because there is money available on tap, almost depending on your credibility and so on. Uh, but for peer to peer, you can't scale up at that same pace because uh, I mean, it needs education and. Uh, there will, or or if you want to scale up, then you need to spend a lot of money on customer acquisition. And I mean, it's hard to scale peer to peer at that same pace as what you could do with an institutional NBFC. Yeah. No, no, absolutely, Akshay. And I think that's the reason why you know we've been at it for fifteen years. Uh, so think about it like the early days of e-commerce in India. No one wanted it. They said, "Oh, COD, chahiye. You know, we will not be online." Yes, absolutely. Because when you're creating a new category, you know you need to, you know, be in it for the long run, and we're happy to do that. Because I think as a country, we need to solve this problem at scale. Uh, to give you, you know, a simple example of what how we are moving as a country. Last year, the Reserve Bank of India issued a notification. Saying that the interest rate cap which was set by the Malayalam Committee in 2010 for the microfinance institutions is now being removed. Microfinance institutions' board members can now decide how much they should charge the communities who are, you know, underserved. So, right. so if we really, as a country, we need to progress. See, it's one thing to, you know make return, you know, has commercial success. I think we've had enough of it. We've seen how that plays out, especially when you're serving communities at the base of the pyramid. So we, we can be a trillion dollar economy, but, you know, if we can't get all of us, you know, if we can't get our per capita income to go up, I don't think we would have achieved anything. I mean, we'll have more billionaires. Maybe, yeah, but, you know, as a country, you know, we would have still failed. So, so, so that's the idea. That's the promise. We believe um, 
the supply also is a function of many things actually, right? So it's, it's a function of if you're, you're able to tell a compelling story because see, lack of credit is not, doesn't even surface as a problem which needs to be tackled out there. But when we step out of our homes, we see poverty everywhere. Right? Even in, even when we're, you know, deplaning from a airline, you know, we see people waiting, you know, and they look so mad that they're trying to get in and clean, you know, prepare the aircraft for the next uh, yeah. flight, you know. And, and we've, so it's, it's all over the place, but how do we overcome poverty in India sustainably? Uh, I, we feel, you know, credit could be a great enabler. Uh, so, yeah, so we are not giving and, up uh, as yet. <laughs> got it, got it, got it. So, your uh, path is to grow organically or do you want to raise funds and then uh, spend those funds to acquire more lenders? Okay, so we will never be able to raise the kind of money, you know, which other duty cons raise. But, you know, we are bringing the fight to their doorstep in terms of the the efforts we're putting in, in terms of our own uh, ability to build world-class products. For example, you know, we have a coach who is a coach for startups in Y Combinator. She's ex-Google, based in Berlin. You know, because you know, we, when we were trying to find a coach in India, we struggled. People said, okay, you're doing a great job, but, you know, well, been tough. We don't have the time. Uh, and to our surprise, you know, we found a coach in Berlin. So, so you know, we we are leaving no stone unturned to make sure you know we deliver on that user experience so that people come invest and they also get to talk about it. Um, but we are also going to look at inorganic growth strategies, which will not cost us a lot of money. We will ride on. Uh, give me some examples. Um, well, like for example, the telethon which we did. Um, ah, okay. uh, yeah, that was. Yeah, and we recently, thanks to Smitha, we made it to the Google Accelerator. So, yeah, I'll let Smitha talk about it. Yeah, I think um, we have, at least um, in the last few years, what we've seen is if we have well thought through strategies uh, to reach out to the right target audience through the right channels, we don't need to be spending a lot of money to acquire users. And a lot of effort in the last few years has been on building our network of impact partners, ensuring that, you know, we have the ability, you know, to that the money goes to the right people and it's creating the kind of impact and as a payback as well. So now we are very, very confident to see how do we actually build the supply side and do it at scale. So we are exploring some amazing partnerships with, say, Google Play Store. We're looking at Google Pay. So a lot of these partnerships that are going to come together to help us do that and a lot of organic efforts as well. So we are seeing that organic content marketing is actually paying us huge, huge, huge results, huge dividends. And we are actually being able to increase our conversion rates, increase our signups with just, you know, doing that very consistently. So product, content, community building and partnerships are four ways in which we are looking at, you know, getting, um, you know, scaling up our social investment. Uh, Google Pay could be a game changer. Like uh, essentially you'll be discoverable on the Google Pay app. Like people who want to uh, invest money with impact, yeah, yeah. like discover you. Amazing. And that brings us to the end of this conversation. 
I want to ask you for a favor now. Did you like listening to this show? I'd love to hear your feedback about it. Do you have your own startup ideas? I'd love to hear them. Do you have questions for any of the guests that you heard about in this show? I'd love to get your questions and pass them on to the guests. Write to me at ad at the podium dot in. That's ad at t h e p o d i u m dot in.